Father, I know full and well standing here behind this pulpit, God, that I am sinful. Father, that I am unworthy and I am unable. And God, those are not just things to say, but Father, I know them full and well. God, in spite of me, in spite of my foolishness and my lack of understanding, Lord, would you speak to us this morning from your holy word? Your word and your spirit is where all the power is. There is no power or significance to any of my words, Father. It is all by your word and by you, Holy Spirit. So I pray this morning that you would shut my mouth of anything that comes from my own head and my own heart, but Lord, that you would speak in spite of me, that your words would flow forward and mine would be stopped. Father, this morning we are asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might use your perfect word to teach us, to grow us in our faith. Lord, so many of us also, though, need to be challenged. God, we need to be convicted. And Father, there's many of us that that we need to be comforted. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. And the amazing thing, Lord, is that you can do all of this at the same time. So God, this morning, would, would you move and would you speak to us as we do our very best to humbly listen? Would you soften our hearts that we might hear from you? We ask all these things in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Before we turn to Exodus 14, let's just take a brief moment to review where we've been and where we are going. So if you've been with us for any length of time, we have been in Exodus since Genesis. We actually started this sermon series at the end of Genesis and then worked our way through Exodus. And once we hit Exodus 14, we have spent the last five weeks diving in and digging out all the treasures of Exodus 14. Many of these sermons are based off of principles that are taught from a book called the Red Sea Rules that was written by Robert J. Morgan. I, I encourage you to get that book, read that book. It is wonderful and it is very helpful for just our everyday walk with the Lord. But after you've read that book, when you hit Exodus 14, it's hard not to see those principles jumping out at you as you go along. So we started looking at the first few verses there in Exodus 14. And if you'll remember, we began with understanding that God has us where we are on purpose and for a purpose. God means for us to be where we are. If you'll remember, as we will read here in just a moment, God tells the Israelites to go to a specific Place. He says, I want you to encamp at Pi-Haharoth, by Bel-Zephon, at Migdal, by the sea. I want you to turn and face the sea. God is in control of everything that they do and everywhere that they go. And the same thing is true and applicable for us. There is nothing that happens in our lives that God doesn't either directly cause or indirectly allow us to go through. And so we understand that God means for us to be where we are. Then secondly, we realize that God is very concerned with his own glory in this passage. As we read through Exodus 14 here in just a minute, catch every prayer that the Lord says, I will get glory over Pharaoh. And it reminds us that whether we are in the midst of the most successful season we have ever experienced or whether we are in the lowest valley we have ever walked through, our focus is should be more about God's glory than about our relief or our comfort or our convenience or our success 
or our prosperity. The same way that God says he will get glory over Pharaoh, our focus should be on glorifying God, not getting immediate relief. And then we talked about how the Israelites, when they're confronted by Pharaoh, as he pursues them, they are immediately stricken with terror and lose focus on the Lord completely and focus entirely on the enemy that is approaching. We talked about how it is important to acknowledge we have an enemy, but to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord who is in control of everything. And there is nothing that our enemy can do to us that the Lord does not allow. We even spoke about Job, the prophet, how God himself, the father, offered up Job and then told the accuser, told Satan, you can do this much to him, but not an ounce more. And then Satan had to come back and say, well, Job is still faithful because you limited me. And then the Lord said, okay, well, you could do a little bit more, but you have to stop here. Everywhere that the Lord set the limits, that's where the enemy had to stop. And we have to understand, we have an enemy, we need to be aware, but our focus should be on the Lord. And focusing on worshiping Him, glorifying Him, living for Him, instead of focusing, being distracted and being stagnant by the enemy. Then we talked about how after the Israelites got extremely afraid, they cried out to the Lord in verse 10. And we talked about how important prayer is in our walk, how important it is for us to cry out to the Lord systematically and spontaneously. We talked about why we pray. We talked about methods of praying. And then last week, we talked about staying calm and confident and giving God time to work. We emphasized how the Israelites did not give God a moment to react. They immediately cry for help and then turn to Moses and rail against Moses before God can do anything for them. Sometimes we have to live out Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God and he will be exalted in all the nations. Sometimes it is important for us to be still and confident and know that God has everything under control. We're going to look a little bit further into an interesting dynamic between staying calm and confident. And then what we're about to see in the Israelites is taking the next step by faith. Sometimes we decide to be calm and confident for so long that we're just stagnant. and We don't take the next step and God's going, hey, I've laid it out in front of you. All you got to do is take the next step. C.H. McIntosh describes it in this way. He says, however, there is no use in crying when we ought to be acting, just as there is no use in acting when we ought to be waiting. Yet such it is ever our way that we attempt to move forward when we ought to stand still. And then we stand still when we ought to move forward. So I want us to look in Exodus 14 again and Catch this morning how in verse 15, the Israelites have stood still and now it is time for them to move forward. So if you have your copy of scripture, I encourage you to take and turn with me once again to Exodus 14. We will be reading the entire passage. And here in just a moment, I will ask for you to stand out of reverence to reading the public reading of God's word. Before I say that, I always say, if you're physically able... This is 31 verses. It is a long passage to read. If you are not physically able to stay standing the entire time, you are not insulting the Lord by sitting down, okay? We do this out of the tradition from Ezra where they stood and Ezra read the law to them, but this is not a sin if you sit down because your legs are about to give out. If somebody passes out from standing up so long listening to this sermon, 
We're not going to stop and check on you because I know you're going to be okay. All right. I've, I've, it's the same thing as a wedding. When I'm at a wedding, if somebody passes out up there on the stage, I'm going to keep officiating and we're just going to pretend like you're fine. So if you need to stay seated, stay seated. If you need to sit down, sit down. But if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? I will read all 31 verses. When I complete, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. So let's look now at Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and he took six Hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die here in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. 
the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before the Israelites, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage once again this morning and we find that there in verse 15, the Israelites have now stopped in fear. They've railed against Moses and they are waiting for what's supposed to happen next. Moses, after getting bombarded by the people of Israel, turns to the Lord and cries out to the Lord. And the Lord responds nonchalantly almost to Moses. And he says, hey, man, what you crying to me for? Go forward. And so Moses says, well, you know, there's like an ocean right there, Lord. And the Lord says, raise your staff over the sea and I will divide it. Keep in mind that God told Moses a while back he was going to get glory over Pharaoh, but he never said how. He never gave the specifics of this is exactly what will happen, A, B, and C, until Moses began to follow along. Think back to Abraham. Abraham is called by God, and God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, go. And Abraham says, okay. In that passage, God doesn't say, Abraham, I want you to pack up your family. I want you to go. You're going to go to this land. And when you get to this land, you're going to then move down to Egypt. Then you're going to come back to this land. You're going to sin a little bit. And you're going to pretend that your uh, wife is actually your sister. And then you're going to be faithless for a little bit. And you're going to try and have a baby the way that you want to instead of the way that I've told you to. But don't worry about it. I'm going to deliver through all of that. I'm going to give you a son. And then I'm going to test your faith about that son by asking you to go and sacrifice him to me. And then I'm going to provide a ram. And then ultimately, I'm going to provide a sacrifice in Jesus. And it's all going to work out. And you're going to be a blessing to all people because I'm going to bless you. Man, if I was Abraham, that would have blown me away. God doesn't give the whole plan. He said, Abraham, go. Abraham starts going. As Abraham needs to know more, God tells him more. A few chapters later, he says, your children, your descendants will be slaves in Egypt and then I will deliver them back out of Egypt. We talked about that prophecy. But that prophecy doesn't come in chapter 12 when he says, hey, Abram, what's up, man? Get out of here. Abram just goes, okay. Folks, there's, there's a difference in standing still and waiting on the Lord and being faithless by standing still. Sometimes God has revealed to us a simple, straightforward, logical step, and we refuse 
to take it. And the Israelites are standing there. He said, I'm going to deliver you. You can't go into the wilderness. You can't go into the wilderness. You can't turn around because my presence in the fire and the smoke is behind you. And so move forward. And the Israelites then take the next step to move forward. That same, that same 18th century scholar, Charles Henry McIntosh, C.H. McIntosh, has a very in-depth commentary where he diagnoses the language in Exodus 14, and he argues that it is very possible that because this east wind came all night long, that the Lord only revealed the next step to the Israelites. When Moses raises his staff, McIntosh argues that it doesn't all just open immediately and they can see from one side of the Red Sea to the other, but that the walls are formed and congeal as they go in. Because it takes all night to move through, and so they take one step and then the Lord reveals a little bit more. And then they take another step and the Lord reveals a little bit more. And they take another step and the Lord reveals a little bit more. Folks, this pattern is all throughout Scripture, not just in Exodus 14. So seldom does God tell us, here's everything you're going to ever need to know for the rest of your life. He says, here's what you need to know today. This phrase you find everywhere in Scripture, either the word daily or day by day. Listen to how Nehemiah describes these events from Exodus. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you, Lord, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud continued to lead them in the way. It did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Folks, God provided not just day by day and moment by moment at the Red Sea, but for the next 40 years. The Israelites literally walked around the wilderness all day, every day for 40 years, and nobody's feet were swollen at the end of every day. Their clothes were still fine. When they got hungry, he provided manna. And even when they went to get the manna, if they bought, if they gathered two days worth of manna, then the manna for the next day would be rotten and filled with maggots. God wanted them to get one day's worth of manna. So they had to trust God the next day that there would be manna there for them to eat. Day by day is how God leads us. By day in the pillar of cloud, by night in the pillar of fire. Moment by moment, he leads the Israelites for 40 years. This reminds me of a situation in 1918. Charles M. Schwab, not to be mistaken with Charles R. Schwab, Mr. Schwab Financial Resources, okay? That's not the same guy. This is a guy who was the CEO of Bethlehem Steel. And in 1918, his business was suffering because they could not be productive enough. And so Charles M. Schwab reaches out to this guy named Ivy Lee. Ivy Lee comes in and he says, okay, what do you want me to do? He says, I need to be more productive. And so Ivy Lee says, if you'll give me 15 minutes with every one of your executives, I'll interview them, I'll work my system with them, and then we'll see what it does. 
He says, okay, how much am I going to have to pay you? He says, you don't have to pay me anything right now. Let's wait and see if it works. In three months from now, you write me a check for whatever you think my services were worth. And so Ivy Lee goes and begins to meet with all of these executives, and he goes through a list with each one of them. And he instructs all of them at the end of the workday to make a list of six items to tackle the next day. He says you have to organize these by their truest importance. So you really have to do some triage here and see what's most important and see what's least important. And you put six items on your list. And then the next morning when you get there, you hit your list hard. You work through one item at a time. Knock out the first thing, mark it through, move on to the second thing. This is where we get our modern understanding of a to-do list. This is the production and the efficiency. It's so simple that it's almost overlooked and stupid, right? But it's simple and it works. And their productivity at Bethlehem Steel shot through the roof. He wrote a check to Ivy Lee for $25,000. And that might seem like a lot of money now because it is. But in 1918, if you accommodate for inflation... $25,000 was like $400,000 today. That's how much money their productivity had increased because they made their list and they did one thing at a time. If they ran out of time in the day to do everything that they had to do, they made their new list at the end of the day, carrying over the tasks that need to be carried over, putting that what's most important at the top, working their way down. Then the next day, you work through your six items. If you don't make it through all six, whatever you make it to, you stop, make your new list, and move forward one task at a time. And, and folks, we live in a world where everything has to be done multitask, right? But if we can be honest, we love to use that word multitaskers, but we're not multitaskers. Nobody is a multitasker. It's actually just a figment of our imagination. There are people who can do single tasks very quickly and shift between them and do a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. But the more our focus is divided, you cannot study as well with loud music and lyrics playing in your ears while you're trying to read a book. It just doesn't work. Your attention will be divided. If you just sit down and read the book, you understand it better. We are not capable. Our brains are not designed to multitask One task at a time. And what's amazing is our creator who knows us and designed our brains reveals information to us that same way. Do you guys realize he could have given Moses the Ten Commandments on like a flash drive? Like God understands how computer mechanics work. God knows how all the electrons and protons and atoms come together, how all the zeros and ones go together. He could have blown Moses' little mind and handed him a flash drive instead of carving it into stone. What would Moses have done with that information? Uh, thanks for the sticky thing. Do I eat it? What do I do? Um, oh, I, I, and then the Lord gives him a computer. You just plug it into this computer, Moses. Moses wouldn't have had a clue. Moses needed detailed, simple instructions for the day. He needed God to accommodate to his inability and carve instructions in stone. And there were instructions for today. Hey, I'm going to get glory over Pharaoh. How are you going to do that, God? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? You'll see. Oh, okay. So sometimes we're being still and waiting on the Lord to show up. And he's already said, hey, just, just take the next step. You don't have to know every step. Just take the next step. Here's the instructions you need for right now. My mom used to do this for me all the time. I, I would get a syllabus, right? And as I got my syllabus... I would 
look at everything I had to do for every class. And I would have an anxiety attack. I'd be paralyzed in fear. There's no way, Mom, that I'm ever going to complete all of these items. I have a paper here, a project here. I have so much to do. There's no way that I'm ever going to finish all of this. And my mom said, okay, make your schedule. See what's due when. Look at the next thing that you have to do and do that. And then when you finish that one, look at the next paper, the next book, the next project, and do that. Folks, this is the way that God works and moves among us. One day at a time. One step at a time. Israel is frozen before the Red Sea. And God says, take the first step of faith. You know why God works this way sometimes? is because it requires faith to move this way. If God opens up the whole Red Sea at one time and they see the end, well, I know I can get through it. I can see the whole end. Why do you think Pharaoh and all them rushed in afterwards? They saw an open canal, a pathway to go by. But the way God works in our lives is to just a little bit in front of you. You guys remember the old story of the kid carrying the lantern? He left the barn door open. It's now late at night. It's, it's way long ago before we had electricity. And, and the, the, the kid's dad says, hey, son, you've got to go out there and close that barn door. He says, well, dad, it's dark and it's raining out there. He says, take your lantern and go out to the barn door. You know where the barn is. Walk in that direction. And he says, okay, dad. And he takes a step and he goes, dad, hey, I can't see any further than one step in front of me. He said, well, take that step. So he takes a step. He said, all right, son, hold the lamp out a little further. Okay, dad. Takes the next step. Hold the lamp out a little bit further. Made his way all the way to the barn. Closed the barn door. Made his way all the way back. All the while, he's only got just this little bit of light from this lamp in front of him to take the next step. You have to have faith to trust that the Lord will carry you through all the way to where you're going, but just take it one step at a time. I know earlier I mentioned this is everywhere in Scripture. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, many of you who have been in our disciple groups and small groups will be super familiar with this passage, but it's no less true. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Look, the, the sermon at Pentecost was amazing. Thousands of people came to know the Lord. But then God worked through the church one day at a time. Taking the next step. Loving the next person. Not focused on conquering the whole world. Conquering and focusing on the next step. The next person to reach. In Psalm sixty-eight nineteen. It says, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. The salvation of the Lord is provided for us day by day. Just a daily providing of that. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God is renewing His Spirit within us each and every day, every single morning. In James 4, 13 and 14, he says, 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend the year there and trade and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Folks, this is us. We're in the midst of COVID-19 and we made all sorts of plans that have had to be thrown out the window. We almost didn't even get a football season. They're trying to figure out what to do for next year's sporting events. But honestly, tomorrow is not guaranteed. We have to live out our faith, trusting that God gave us today and do everything we can for him and be faithful to follow the next thing that he has shown us today. Because none of us are promised to wake up in the morning. We take it as a granted, as a given thing that God is going to let us live 80-ish years, maybe. So if we're in our 30s and we think, hey, man, I got another 50 years tomorrow's given. I'm going to plan for 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Sometimes we do that without any care. Or without any forethought that God only sustains me one day at a time. He even teaches us to pray that way. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say give us this month our monthly bread. Give us this year our yearly bread. Give us today our daily needs. Sometimes I think we're, we're aiming so far down the road, we miss what's happening right here in front of us. And then at the end of that same chapter, Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love David Jeremiah. I think he's a great preacher. And one of the turns of phrases, he's so powerful at these quick turn of phrases. One of the phrases that has just stuck with me from a sermon of his is that stop using today's grace on tomorrow's worries. This passage just told us God's given us enough grace sufficient for today. But what we do is, is we take today's grace and we burn it all up, worrying, being anxious about tomorrow. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? I got to go back to school tomorrow. I got to go back to work tomorrow. What's going to happen this afternoon? What's going to happen the next thing going on and losing focus on right here? God's provided all the grace we need each day. And sometimes we're living so far out of this day that we're missing what God is doing and we're not being found faithful. Sometimes we're paralyzed and we don't know what decision to make. And we go to Scripture, and we go to our friends, and we go to our family, and we go to people who we consider wise, godly counsel. We hear from everybody. We see, okay, maybe, there's, maybe I should go this way, but we just stand still. That's what the Israelites did. They, they were going to turn back. You remember last week? If God had not put the pillar of fire there, they may have tried to surrender to the Egyptians. And so now they're paralyzed in fearing. He has to say to Moses, tell the people, go forward. You can take the next step. You can do this. Being paralyzed and not, not knowing what to do next reminds me of the story. We've, we've mentioned it in another sermon, but the story of Jim Elliott. Jim and his wife, Elizabeth, along with numerous other missionaries, moved to Ecuador. And they go to Ecuador to reach this unreached tribe of people called the Alca Indians. And the Alca Indians are murderous and bloodthirsty people. No way to describe it other than that. And so they go and they, they build this relationship slowly. They do airdrops to drop off supplies for them. And finally it gets to the point where Jim and Nate Saint and some of the other missionary men go and set up camp very close 
to the Aka Indians by their water source. And so the very last transmission that Jim ever makes is a radio transmission to his wife that says the Aka Indians are actually approaching us. Maybe this is our opportunity. I'll get back with you in about three hours. Never heard from again. He and the other two missionary men with him were speared to death and their bodies were found later. She never heard from her husband again. She was a mother and now she's a widow. And Elizabeth Elliot, you may have read some of her books. I mean, she's spoken at seminaries. She's an incredible woman of faith. But listen to what she writes about that experience when Jim was gone. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm out in the middle of the Ecuadorian wilderness trying to reach these people who just killed my husband, I'm either paralyzed or I'm retreating. One of the two. But listen to what the Lord says through her. When I went back to my jungle station after the death of my first husband, Jim Elliot. I was faced with many confusions and uncertainties. I had a good many new roles. Besides that of being a single parent and a widow, I was alone on a jungle station that Jim and I had manned together. I had to learn to do all kinds of things which I was not trained or prepared in any way to do. The greatest help to me was simply to do the next thing. Folks, Sometimes we don't have to know the end game. Sometimes we don't have to know what God's going to do five days, five years, five months down the road. We just have to be faithful to do the next thing by faith. To take the next logical step by faith. When you've consulted Scripture, when you've talked to wise, godly counsel from friends and family, and you have instruction of which way to go, don't stand in fear. Take the next step in faith. And you know, some situations don't really require us to have all sorts of biblical counsel and wise, godly counsel from people. When Elizabeth Elliot was faced with this choice, she said, those people are dying and going to hell. I got no other choice but to share the gospel with them. By her persistence and forgiveness of them, that tribe of people now has the gospel even in their own language. Those same men who murdered her husband came to know Jesus. Folks, if you get an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody, it's not one of those things where you got to step back and go, okay, okay, they said, how am I staying calm through the coronavirus and all this economic strife? Do you think that maybe God wants me to share about how my hope is in Him and, and share the gospel with Him? I think I should take a minute to pray about this. Listen, I love that question. It's a great question. If you'll give me an hour to go pray, I got to call my mom and my sister, my brother, and I got to call my pastor because I think God's given me an opportunity here, but I'm not really sure. So give me an hour. I'll follow back up with you and answer that question. Not necessary, right? God's given us the great commission. God's given us steps to take. And sometimes we go, I don't, I don't know. Maybe God's leading me to do this. Maybe he's not. Take. The next step by faith. When somebody is in dire need and you're able to help them, you don't have to step back and go, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord wants me to help them. Be willing to get your hands dirty and your feet dirty. We got to be willing to step into the mess. And sometimes you don't have time to take seven years to pray about it, about if it's going to be okay. And sometimes you might meet hardship along the way, but you just take the next step. Look at Paul in Acts chapter 16. Paul is on a missionary journey, commissioned by the church. 
And he's running into all sorts of difficulties. And over and over again in this passage, we're going to see Paul just takes the next step by faith. In verse 5, I just want you to see that word daily again, day by day. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Day by day, God's at work. Verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Folks, Paul did not sit on his rear end and wait for that vision. He tried to go into Asia, and when the Holy Spirit didn't allow him into Asia and directed him somewhere else, he then tried to go in Bithynia. And then when he couldn't go into Bithynia, he went down to Troas. When he couldn't get into Troas, he tried to go into Mysia. He is taking the next step by faith to figure out God's will. And God shows up and guides him and speaks him as he moves forward for the Lord. Sometimes we stand still and go, all right, God, I'm going to stand here till you say something. Anytime. Oh, oh, you said go. Yep, I read that. No, that might not have been you. I'm going to listen for something else. Y'all hear anything? I ain't hearing nothing. God's already given us the commission to go. You and I may not know where to go, but take the next logical step by faith, trusting that the Lord is going to give you the grace that you need for that day. Don't worry about the next day, but follow through with the next logical step by faith. Folks, some of us, I feel like, have been paralyzed. I know there's so many times in my life I've been paralyzed in fear. I've wondered where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? There are times where we have to be still and know that he is God, that he will be exalted in all the nations. But there's also so many times where the instructions are so simple and we've overcomplicated it. This morning, I wonder, are you standing still when God has called you to move forward? Maybe the way God's calling you is that you you don't know him yet. And he's calling you to take the next step by believing in him. Maybe you've been visiting this church for a while and you feel at home and you feel welcome and you know the people here, you love the people here. And God's calling you to take the next step of faith by saying, I want to join and be a part of this fellowship. Maybe God's telling you to talk to that person at work. Maybe God's pushing you to take the next logical step and do something bold and big for him. Or something simple and straightforward. But church, whatever God's calling us to do, let's not be paralyzed in fear, but take the next step forward in faith. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and how you love us. God, help us to discern and understand. Help us to be people of action. Help us not to worry about next year, next month, seven years down the road. God, help us to focus on today and how to live for you today. Sufficient for each day is its own trouble, Lord. Give us the courage and the strength to take the next step by faith. Lord, to hear your words to Moses as words to us. Why are you crying to me? Take the next step forward.
move forward. Help us, Lord, to move forward in faith for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.